0: Your Bibles, if you would go this morning with me to the book of Psalms. We're really the 14th psalm this morning and a beautiful, I'm sorry, the 16th psalm. A couple more psalms over. So the 16th psalm. And in the 16th psalm, we're going to look here and Something I think will help you. If you find the 16th Psalm, I want you to look right below where it says Psalm 16. And how many of you in your copy of the Word of God, right below it says, Mictam of David. How many of you can see that? Mictam of David. Now, that's one of those words that you have to kind of look up sometimes. But Mictam literally means gold. And there are a few of these Mictam Psalms throughout the book of Psalms and they're the golden ones, and they're the golden ones. And this is a, such a wonderful, helpful passage of Scripture. I know they all are. Uh, this is one of the golden Psalms, and some things I think will help you, and some promises I hope that you'll be able to hold on to. Uh, if you look with me in Psalm 16, we'll begin reading here the, these 11 verses. Verse number one, of the Bible says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a... Goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord, who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. See corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Verse number 11 is the climax of chapter number 16, the book of Psalms. And there's three promises here, all three of which we desperately need. The first one says this Thou wilt show me. The path of life. You know what? We all need to know God's will for our life. And God has promised that he will show us the path of life. Now, I'll have you know something. God wants to show you the path of life. God has a plan for your life that is perfect. And you can trust him with it. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. You need the Lord to direct you in the plans of your life. If for some reason you've come to the place where you think that you know what's better for you than God knows for you, you've come to a place that is not real, uh, it, it's, it's not right. Uh, you see, God's will for your life is very, very best. And we can trust him with his will for our life. The Bible says that will show me the path If you're going to trust in somebody to show you the path of life, who should you trust in? I know you should trust in. You should trust in the God who knows the beginning from the end, who is all-knowing and rich in love. He says, you can know the path of life. Look at the next phrase in verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be a joyful Christian. The devil loves to steal the joy of God's people. Happiness has to do with happenstance and what's happening. Joy is something that comes from God. And God's people can be joyful and satisfied and content even in the worst of situations. We need God's joy he says, I promise you, I'll give you my direction. I promise you, I'll give you my joy. And finally, he says this, at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Now, I'll have you know something. Life is full of trouble. It's a fact. It's a fact, and it's okay. But God has promised pleasures forevermore. God's promised to give us everlasting life. He'll give you joy and peace And a life to enjoy. But he's promised to give us pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, but I know for a fact I need God to give me everlasting life. There's three things in this verse that we want. Or we should want. God's direction. God's joy. And God's eternity. And this text builds to to verse number 11. There's some things we need to know in order that we might have and know The path of life that God has designed for us. Let's look together at this passage of Scripture. In order to have verse number 11 and to receive the promises of verse number 11, some things add up and need to add up. And we're going to look at these things, three things. Number one is this. If you want direction, joy, and eternity, number one, you need to make God your Lord. You need to make God your Lord. Let's study this passage together. The Bible says in verse number one, Preserve me, O God, for indeed do I put my trust. Now what we have here is we have David. David is, is calling out to the Lord, preserve me. He wants God to help him. Have you ever been in a situation where you... Wonder if you're going to be able to be preserved, if you're going to be able to make it, if you're going to survive. Uh, David was up against it. Actually, David probably was worse than up against it. You know what's worse than up against it, don't you? Up against it. Uh, when you're up against it, I just mean you don't have time to even say the whole word against. And so David here is up against it. And he's in a bad way. He says, Lord, preserve me. You know something that's fascinating to me? David is also known after the man after God's own, what's that next word? heart. He's the man after God's own heart. Do you know what I immediately in my f- finite logic want to say? Surely the man after God's own heart, the king of God's people, the nation Israel, surely that man is not going to be up against it. Right? You'd think the man after God's own heart. Surely if anybody's going to have health, wealth and prosperity, it's going to be him. But let me tell you something, David... All through his life is up against it. Sometimes it's at no fault of his own. Do, does the right thing over and over again. He's up against it. At other times, he's done the wrong thing and he's suffering the consequence of his sin. But David is up against it, and he says, "Preserve me, folks." I want you to understand something. We all need God. You need to make God your Lord. You need to put God first in your life because there are going to be times and there are always times in life where you need the Lord. He cries out, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. Now, I know that seems so elementary, but we must trust in the Lord. We must trust in the Lord. When do you learn to trust in the Lord? When everything's going great? No. You learn to trust in the Lord when things are difficult, when things are challenging. You learn to trust in the Lord when you're up against it. David cries out, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. God, in the midst of our troubles, is teaching us to trust him. What's the burden that you're bearing today? What's the thing that's, uh, that maybe it's the very thing that got you out of bed and brought you to church this morning? Let me tell you something. God will allow those things in your life so that you come to the place where you know that you need to trust Him because if you're going to have direction, joy, and eternal life, you're going to have to make God your Lord. The Bible says in verse number two, O oh my soul, thou hast said the Lord, thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. Now, this scripture is kind of interesting. Oh, my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord. Now, this is fascinating to me because David testifies the fact that his soul is speaking to the Lord. His soul is speaking. Now, this is something we need to practice. Do you know what your soul is? Your soul is that part of you that makes up your intellect, emotion, and will. Let's talk about your intellect for a mo- For just a moment. There may be some, and there are some very smart people in this room. But how many of you know everything? How many of you ever come up against something and you didn't know exactly what the right thing to do was? Intellect. Let me tell you, our intellect is at best inferior. It's not good enough. So intellect, my soul, my intellect, it's not, it's not sufficient. Emotion, that's the next part of my soul. My soul's emotion, emotional. How many of you have ever been upset for, about something for no good reason? It happens, doesn't it? How many of you, one hour in a day, everything's going my way. And the next hour... For no seemingly good reason, you're down in the depths of despair. Emotions. I'll just tell you, emotions, your emotions are the weakest part of your existence. Your emotions will drive you nuts. Your emotions will lie to you. Your emotions will get you in trouble. Your intellect is inferior. Your emotions are fragile. Your will, what you want to do. How many of you ever, I want you to actually raise your hand on this one. Will you participate? Your will. How many of you have ever wanted to do the wrong thing? If that's you, would you please raise your hand? Normally it's in the checkout line at Walmart for me, or a traffic, but uh, I'm just kidding. You've wanted to do the wrong, your will. Uh, you've already admitted that your will is something that, Occasionally makes poor decisions. So here's what David is dealing with. He's like, preserve me, Lord. I'm in trouble. I'm in a mess. And he says, here's what I did. My soul talked to the Lord. I think that's a good idea. I think the most fragile parts of us, our intellect, emotion, will, needs to go to the Lord. Lord, I don't know what to do. Help me. I think our emotions, when we're mad or sad or scared, we need to take our emotions. We go, Lord, ah, help me. Our will, we don't want to do the right thing. And we want to do the wrong thing. Our emotion, our will, our intellect should be taken to the Lord. And David says, my soul, talk to the Lord. Oh, my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extends not thee. What's he say? My soul, thou hast said unto the Lord. It's going to take a minute to get through verse number two, but I think it will help you. Look at the Bible says in verse two. Thou hast said unto the Lord. I've talked about this before, but maybe not on a Sunday morning. I know not lately. But in your copy of the Scriptures, as you're looking at the Bible with me this morning, how many of you, when you see the word Lord there, it's spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D? Uh, you see that, right? Lord. Now, look at the next phrase. Thou, it says Lord with all capitals. Then the next phrase is Thou art my Lord. You see how that one's spelled? Capital L, little O, little R, little D. Why in the world is it like that? I want to explain it to you. When you see the word Lord in all caps in your English Bible, it means that that word has been, the word Lord has been translated from the word Jehovah. You've heard the word Jehovah, right? Jehovah is the covenant God of Israel. Jehovah is creator God. Jehovah is God Almighty. Jehovah. Now, when you see the word Lord in all caps, you can also see the word God all caps have you ever seen the little G gods in your Bible? If you see God all caps in your Bible, that's Jehovah God. That's the creator God of the Bible. God, Lord. So when we see the word Lord here, we're talking about God. But so the Bible says, thou hast said unto the Lord, God, thou art my Lord. Little O R D, Lord is a master, a ruler, the boss. So what the Bible says, and David has said, Now, I've spoken to the Lord because my intellect, emotion, and will need the Lord. Lord, help me. He says, I've spoken to the Lord, and I've said, Lord God, you are my Lord Master. Does that make sense? It's so important that we get to the place where the Lord God is our Lord Master. Who's the boss in your life? Let me tell you, the boss in your life should not be you. The boss in your life should be God. You see, God should be the Lord of our lives. And David says, now look, my intellect, emotion, and will, it's it's all over the place. But I've cried to the Lord and I've told the Lord God that I want you, Lord God, to be my Lord Master. And I'm just going to obey Folks, let me just tell you, when you get to the place where you make God your Lord, you're going to find out that it is a sweet place to live. It's a sweet place to live. You need to make God your Lord. You see, when you make God your Lord, we unlock the blessings of God's direction. We unlock the blessing of joy. We unlock the blessing of eternal life when we make God our Lord. The Bible continues in verse number two. He says, "O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to thee. He says, he says my, I, my goodness is not good enough for you. My goodness is not as good as you. My goodness extendeth not to thee. My goodness is not good enough to thee. Do you know something? And this breaks people's hearts, but it's so true. I don't want to break your heart. I just want you to know the truth about me. It's confession time, Pastor Sturgill, and I'm doing the confessing. You know what it is? God does not need me. He doesn't need me, and that's okay. You something else? God doesn't need you. Do you don't think? Do you think for just a moment that God doesn't have somebody that could preach this message better than me? And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, He does. As a matter of fact, if he wanted to, he could preach it himself, and that would be amazing. God doesn't need me, and God doesn't need you, and that's okay. The awesome thing about God is God wants us. God wants to use us. God wants us to do his work. God wants to, to work through his people, do his work. And so he says, my goodness extendeth not to thee. He says, I'm not needed. He said, but you've given me something to do. Verse number three. He says, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. He says, "He says, God, you don't need me. Your goodness ex- exceedeth mine. My goodness is not good enough. And that's okay. He said, but you've given me something to do. You've given me Christians to love. You've given me your people to delight in. You've given me a people to care about. Now, that's an interesting conjunction here with this passage of Scripture. But he wants us to know that when we submit ourselves to God and God is the Lord of our lives, we are not as important to ourselves as we are burdened about other people. Does that make sense? When your heart is in tune with God, you care more about others than you care about yourself. And that's a great place to be. And David says, You know what? I'm up against it right now. He says, Preserve me. He says, My soul's talking to you, Lord, because my flesh is weak. He says, Lord, I'm going to give you my best, and my best isn't great, but I'm going to do what you've required of me, and I'm going to love other people. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to delight in your people. In contrast to someone who makes God their Lord, the Bible says in verse number 4, their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. There's another little G, God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. And David says, now look, as true as it is that God will give you direction, joy, and eternal life for making God... The Lord of your life. It is equally true that if you go chasing after other gods, you're going to hurt yourself. Other gods. How many of you ever been tempted? Look at what the Bible says in verse 4. Have you ever been tempted to drink a blood offering that was made to a sacrifice here at the town hall? How many of you ever been tempted to do that? The last time they did that, I just I wasn't tempted at all. I'm just kidding. It's never happened. So how's this applied? Let me, let me tell you about little g gods. The devil is way too smart to tempt us with little g gods that require blood sacrifices in these days. You know what God What the devil wants to make gods in your life? He wants to make your children a god in your life. And you worship them more than you do god. You want to make terrible kids? Worship your kids instead of your god. And you'll make a mess. The devil wants you to make your profession your god. Climbing the ladder your god. The devil wants to make your house your god. Your Hobby your God. The devil wants to make something in your world more important than God. And I'm going to tell you something. Whatever that is, is a little g God. And it will lead you away from the very things that you need the most. Direction, joy, and eternal life. See, number one, if we're going to have God's promises from verse number 11, number one, we're going to have to make God our Lord. I needed to interject something. I hate to miss this. I was talking about getting along with other Christian people. Listen to this little poem. To live above with saints we love, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, that's a different story. (laughs) May God help us to make God our Lord. Number one, make God your Lord. Number two, we should trust in God's goodness We should trust in God's goodness. Now, David's already said, I'm struggling. He says, Lord, preserve me. I trust in you. Preserve me. I trust in you. He's having trouble. But he's also going to emphasize the fact that he needs to trust in God's goodness. I want you to remember something. God is good. God is always good. God is 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 good. You hear lots of folks want to say, Things like this, how does a good God let good people suffer? For one, there's no actually good people. But God has a purpose that far exceeds our understanding. And even when God seems to be far away, we can rest in the fact that God cares and God is good. God is good. David is going to make the case. God is good. Look at the Bible says in verse number 5. He teaches that God is good. He says, number verse number five. He says, "The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of mine cup." Now, the first thing he says, I want to remind you something, that the Lord is going to take care of me. He says, "The Lord God Jehovah is the portion." Of mine inheritance. Now it's an interesting thing to think about David. David was the youngest of all of his brothers. You remember that story? Uh, he was the shepherd boy, and nobody came to pick him when he was going to be the king. And finally Samuel made them all stand and wait until they went after the shepherd boy. And David, the baby boy, comes in the room. The least likely of all the candidates to be the king of Israel. He comes in the room and he's anointed to be the king of Israel. Now, that didn't change the fact that David was the youngest in the household of Jesse. Let me tell you something. Jesse's oldest brother, the one that dad thought would be the king, he didn't become the king, but he became the heir of the Jesse estate in southwest Israel. The oldest boy, David's oldest brother, became the heir. David, as the youngest of the boys, had no promise of inheritance by that culture. David says, that's okay. That's okay. He says, the Lord... Is the portion of my inheritance. David's thinking, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm in, in a bad way. He says, he says, I need the Lord's help. He says, he says, I don't know what the future holds. And you may look to an inheritance to preserve you in the future. But David says, I don't have an earthly inheritance. But he says, I do have the inheritance that God... He says, the Lord's my inheritance. He says, I don't know what the future looks like. But the Lord's my inheritance. I can trust in him. He doesn't stop there. He says, the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. You see that word cup? The word cup, it speaks of the immediate. Speaks of the immediate. How many of you like to, uh, you didn't finish your coffee this morning. and It's been sitting there on the uh, end table. And you get home and after you get done with lunch, you sit down. And you just can't wait to get home and drink the rest of that coffee. I like coffee, and I can do that, but I'm not excited about it. The cup speaks of the immediate. And so David says, Lord, you're the portion of my inheritance. He says, Lord, I'm going to trust you for what's ahead. And let me tell you something, God is good, and you can trust him for all that lies ahead. Sometimes we get to a spot where we need the Lord right now. And David, no doubt, at this moment was in a spot where he needed the Lord, and <laughs> he said, "Lord, you're the portion of my inheritance in the future." He says, "Lord, you're my cup." He says, "I've got what I need now because of your goodness." And let me tell you something: you may not feel like you got it right now, but you've got what you need right now because God has promised to be the portion of your cup. He loves you. He's good. Trust God's goodness. Verse 5, he continues, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Look at the next phrase. Thou maintainest my lot. Thou maintainest my lot. I know those are kind of a little bit unusual words, but your lot is what you have. Have you ever been a little worried about being able to hold on to what you have? That can become a scary thing. Anybody that's had a 401k or some type of a retirement account in the last few years, they've been a little concerned about being able to hold on to what they had. Let me give you a little perspective. Number one, if you get the little envelope in the mail that has your report for a 401k or whatever it is, retirement account, thank the Lord you got one, one. Number two, you might not want to open that thing. How many of you, over the course of the last year, you don't have to raise your hand, have just been either throwing it in the trash or sticking it in the file? I don't want to see that trash. That's not good. You know, it's a real fear to think, what if I don't have enough? What if I can't maintain? What if, what if I lose my health and strength? Now, this is crazy, I know, but you, you, I, it's happened to me today. I had this, fle- I had this fleeting thought, What if, you know, what if I lose my health? What's going to happen then? What if I lose my strength? What's going to happen then? And the Bible sends us word. And God says, he says, listen, I'll maintain your lot. Isn't that fascinating? He's going to maintain what you've got. He's going to help you. That doesn't mean that you're going to keep everything you've ever had. But God is going to maintenance. And he's going to take care of. And he's going to make sure that you have what you need. God is good. Trust him. Trust him. Thou maintainest my lot. It continues. Verse number five. There's a fascinating thing here. What's the Bible? The Lord is the portion. The Lord is my cup. The Lord maintains my You know what's sweet about that verse? God doesn't give us the blessings that we need to survive. God gives us himself. God gives us himself. It's like the difference between a very wealthy, kind person handing you $500 and sending you on vacation and says, have a great time. And that same wealthy person saying, you know what, never mind. Give me my $500 back. I'm going with you. The difference is it's a whole lot better to have the person then it has the have the person's things. And God has promised, as you go on this journey of life, he's going to be with you. He's not just going to hand out a little blessing here, a little blessing there. God is going to go with you, and he's going to take care of you. and He's going to meet your needs. The Bible says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. He's faithful. You get God. Listen. You need to trust in God's goodness. Verse number six. The Bible says the lines are falling unto me in pleasant places. I'm going to have to pick up the pace. But the Bible says the lines are falling unto me in pleasant places. He says he says it's becoming more and more evident to me that the, the lines, the, the boundaries, the things that God has given me. God has put them in my life and he's blessing and he's blessing. If you ever think that God's not blessing you, you may be looking at it wrong. One of our girls sang this song. One of the lines is, what if your blessings come through raindrops? And I don't know if I like her or dislike her, but that song's been in my heart all week long. I'm just kidding. It's helped me a lot. Because I know that God's good. And when the burdens are heavy, God's good. And when the difficulty's real, God's good. And when the struggle's... Seem unbearable at times. God is good, and He's caused the lines to be placed in pleasant places. God has a purpose for the spot that you're in, and you can trust Him. He says, Yea, I have a goodly heritage. He says, God's been faithful, God's been faithful, God's been faithful. You can trust Him. God's good. He says, I want you to know that God is good. Trust in God's goodness. Look what else he says God's going to do in the goodness of God. Verse 37, he says, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. You know something sweet? God counsels his people. The number one place that God counsels his people is through his word. God counsels his people. God's going to give you direction. God's going to give you peace. And maybe even on a Sunday morning from a country preacher, on a day like today, God is giving you counsel. He's helping you. He's encouraging you. He's pointing in the right direction. God gives us counsel. Aren't you glad that God uses his word to give us counsel? He says, God's so good. God counsels me. And then look what else he says, verse number 7. He says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My rains also instruct me in the night seasons. Now, who in the world wants to come up here and explain that verse? My rains also instruct me in the night seasons. The word rains shows up numerous times in the Psalms. And I'm just going to tell you something. I have had this word dead wrong. Do you know what the word rains means? When I think of rains, here's what I think of Whoa, Nellie. Ha ho, Silver, away. Rains. Whoa. That's not what rains means. You'll never guess what rains means. You know what rains means? Are you ready for this? (laughs) I mean, it is profound, life changing. You ready? Rains. The word rains means (laughs) kidney. Kidney. I ain't kidneying you. It literally means kidney. Now, you can see the same, exact same word is translated many times when it's talking about the Old Testament sacrifices, the fat on the kidney of a lamb, the fat on the kidney of a ram, the fat on the kidney of a cow, the fat, and kidney, 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 kidney. And often in the Psalms, the exact same word is translated rains. And so here's what the Bible says to us in verse number 7. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins, my kidneys, also instruct me in the night seasons. Isn't that fascinating? Now, let's bring it down to where the rubber meets the road. Our primary source of direction from God is His Word. If anything, you ever feel that anything ever directs you away from God's Word, that did not come from God. But... You know what God does? God also directs us in our kidneys. (laughs) Have you ever heard somebody say, I had this sinking feeling in my gut. I can't help but believe that's probably your kidneys telling you something because that's what the Bible says right there. Pastor Chuck has said many times, and I love it, he says, I had a check in my spirit. Other folks have said, I just didn't have peace about that. Or in other instances, you say, man, I just felt like this was the right thing to do. Do you know what God does? God speaks to his people and directs us. And he guides us. And he'll even give you a little check in your kidney. Sometimes you might need a kick in the kidney in order to do the right thing. And he'll give you that too. But the Bible tells us that, you know, we talk about a woman's intuition. And I really don't think it's just a woman's intuition. I think there's often times when the ladies are far more willing to listen to the Spirit of God. But God is directing and working and speaking in a still, small voice. And God is directing you. Do you know what God's going to do? God will lead you. God will guide you. God will protect you. And he'll protect you through his word. And he'll protect you through your kidneys. (laughs) He says... God's directing me. I feel it. Have you ever heard in the Bible where it says, I yearned in my bowels? God moves in our hearts. God works in our lives. He directs his people. It's a sweet thing. Be sensitive to the move and the spirit of God. Let God speak to you. And David says, look, God sometimes causes me to have this certain little twinge in my kidneys. And I really think that's God telling me, don't do that. And when he's talking about how God speaks to him in direction, he says, you know, God's good. God is good. He says, I will bless, verse number 7, the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reigns also instruct me in the night seasons. There's a little spot there where we can talk for just a minute about the night seasons. You know, God works in our hearts often for me. When I first begin to wake up in the morning, there's, certain, there's a certain clarity of things that, that God puts in your heart and promptings that God wants you to do. Sometimes, as I begin to wake up in the morning, I'm woken up in my heart with, oh my goodness, I got to do that right now. And other times, I'm woke up with the Lord saying, it's good, it's going to be okay, all's well. God works in our hearts. David talks at other places in the Psalms about communing with his heart on his bed. God speaks. God works. God directs his people. Folks, let me tell you something. You can make God your Lord. You should. You should trust in God's goodness. And finally, number three, set the Lord always before you. Look what the scripture says, verse number eight. The Bible says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at the right, at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He says, here's, here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to live. I want to live with God always before me. What's that mean? That means everything you do, you do it in consideration of what is right, what pleases God. When's the last time you made a decision and consulted God about it? We've talked earlier about all of us have been prone to make wrong decisions. Let me tell you something. If you're making a decision about what you're going to do today, you should ask God, is that okay? If you're going to make a decision about what you're going to do with your life, you should ask God, God, is that what you want? The little bracelet craze went on for years and years, and I don't wear a bracelet. But the, the, uh, it, was, it said WWJD. What would Jesus do? I think that's good. I think we should live our lives in light of the fact is what would Jesus do? What does God want me to do? What does God want for my life? And David said, look, in this golden psalm, he says, says, I have set the Lord always before me. He says, I want God to go before me. I want to do things God's way. I want to obey God. I have always set the Lord before me. The Bible says, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. I love that phrase. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Have you ever thought, man, I'm going to do the right thing? Perhaps you've been in a church service like this, and the Holy Spirit of God has said, you know what, son? This week, you don't need to do that anymore. And you've sat in church, and you've thought, you know what, this week? is the week that I change for the glory of God. This is the week that I say no to that. This is the week that I say yes to pleasing God. This is the time. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Have you ever had that thought in your heart? The Holy Spirit's working in your heart, and you're like, I'm not ever doing that anymore. But something happens between the pew and the car because you don't remember one more time the commitment you made to God until next week when you get in church and I'm not sure if it's the Holy Spirit or the devil saying, You low down, dirty, rotten dog. You told me you was going to do the right thing. So here's what David says. He, says. he says, I'm going to set the Lord always before me. And he said, Because the Lord is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Do you know what that means? It means I'm going to do what's right. I'm not going to be moved away from the right decision because I'm going to keep God in front of me. Let me tell you something. If you put God in front of you when you get to your car today and say, Lord, what do you want me to do today with my life? You know what's going to happen? You're going to realize the Lord's at your right hand. You won't be moved. If you turn on the TV, Lord, what do you want me? Is is this okay for me to watch? He'll probably say no. And you obey the Lord because the Lord's at your right hand. You know what's going to happen? You'll not be moved. And you keep God before you and understand that God is at your right hand. You're not going to move away from doing the right thing. You're going to be motivated to please the Lord with your life. It's great. Set the Lord always before you. It continues and I must hasten. The Bible says here in verse number 9, Therefore my heart is glad. My glory rejoices, my flesh also shall rest in hope. He says, I'm going to rest in hope. I love that phrase, rest in hope. What do we get? We make God our Lord when we trust God's good. we set the Lord, we get the opportunity to rest in hope. I'm going to rest in hope. The Bible says in verse 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. David said, he said, Lord, you're so good to me. He said, you're not going to leave me in this great depth of despair. You're not going to forsake me in this moment of horribleness. He says, nor will you suffer your Holy One to see great. You're going to bless me and you're going to give me everlasting life. There's something fascinating about verse number 10. Verse number 10, David writes it and I'm confident that David unknowingly writes A psalm verse that's going to be used to describe Jesus later. In the book of Acts, Peter on the day of Pentecost is preaching. He's preaching a great message to a multitude of people. And people from all over the world are hearing God's word in their own tongue. And Peter uses this verse of scripture to describe Jesus. He says, for thou will not leave my soul in hell. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And he took our sin for us. He took our hell. He paid our price. Thou will not leave my soul in hell. And Jesus didn't stay in hell. He defeated death, hell, the grave. He rose from the dead. He conquered the devil. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, and he prepared a place for us. Holy Savior, wonderful God, gracious King. David says, look, you're going to take care of me, God. You're going to, try, you're going to take care of me. And I'll just tell you, as we look to Jesus, as we look to Jesus, we have this glorious promise that God will take care of us. The promises are in verse 11. That will show me the path of life. Do you, need, do you want to know God's direction for your life? Good. Make God your Lord. Trust God's goodness. Set the Lord always before you. Put your trust in Jesus. Do you want joy? You know the answer. Do you want eternal life? You know the answer. And it ultimately includes Jesus is the only Savior. You need to repent of your sin. Trust in Christ, in Christ alone. and He'll save your soul. Oh, may God help us. You know what God's going to give us? The path of life. You know what God's going to give us? Joy. You know what God's going to give us? Everlasting life. If we make Jesus the King and Lord of our life, we have that great promise. Let's pray.